everybody. It would not be an episode without me talking about audio, now would it? I got to go to a high school to interview Jasmine, and I was so excited to do this. Um, there was a basketball game going on, <laughs> and even though the door was shut and we were a little bit down the hallway, there are parts in the episode where you can clearly hear like whistles and cheering and things like that, and some a couple of times some of the guys are out buying concessions and you can hear them talking outside the room. So again, I tried my best to edit and fix things, um, but it's not perfect and you can definitely hear it and it's a little distracting, but Jasmine's episode is so good. I think you guys are going to love it. I'm so excited for everything that she had to share and hopefully in the future I can just keep getting better at knowing background noise and that it's going to happen. And with that, I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Shine a Light podcast. I This is a very special episode because I am I traveled to, to do this <laughs> interview. I am at Detroit Krista Ray High School. Uh, this is Megan Landry. I always forget to introduce myself. And I am here with Jasmine Kendrick. So, Jasmine, I'm going to have you say what you do, how old you are, kind of a little, little bit about you. Okay. Um, I am 25 years old. I currently am the admissions officer for Detroit Krista Ray former alum from the first graduating class in 2012. Yes. So <clears throat> Jasmine has a very specific topic that she wants to talk about today and that I wanted her to talk about. But before we even get into that, uh, I can't go any further without sort of addressing the full circle-ness of this entire <laughs> interview. So just to give a little bit of background, um, the year after college, I did a year of volunteer service with Mercy Volunteer Corps. And I was placed at Detroit Cristo Ray High School. And at the time, they had only been open a couple of years. So all they had were freshmen and sophomores. Jasmine was a sophomore. And we met and we got really close. Um, we formed a very special bond. In fact, do you remember the time someone came up to us and was like, are you guys sisters? Yes. <laughs> and we just kind of looked at her like, like mm. there's some clear differences between us, but sure. Um, but yes, definitely felt, treated Jasmine like a little sister. And we've stayed in touch through the years. Um, and now she's working here, which to me is just totally crazy <laughs> and full circle because I was 22 when I was working here. So you're older than oh, wow. <laughs> when I was here and you were 16, probably. Mm, yeah. Yeah. 15, 16. Yeah. So I just felt like I should say that because I think it's really cool how things kind of come back together. So since Jasmine is the admissions officer in Detroit, Crystal Ray is such a special place. I do want you to give a little pitch about what Crystal Ray is for people who don't know. Okay. Um, Detroit Crystal Ray is a Catholic co-ed, uh, private college prep school in the city of Detroit, the Southwest side. We are, we pride ourselves in creating an education for people who don't necessarily have the funds for a more expensive Catholic education. Um, founded by the Crystal Ray Network in like 96, we have a corporate work study program that offsets about 60% of the tuition for families and allows students to get real life corporate work experience from their ninth through 12th grade year in high school. So it's really a great um, experience. You have a resume out of this world by the time you graduate and you're an extremely competitive candidate for jobs in college and you just get a very well-rounded experience. So I absolutely loved it. I can sincerely say that I'm advocating for the mission of the school and trying to bring in students. So yes, I absolutely love it here. Yeah. And it opened in what? 2008. 2008. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so now there's been several graduating classes and the graduation rate is pretty high, which is exceptional mm -hmm. for Detroit because it's kind of known that graduation high school graduation rate is low for Detroit. Right. But you guys are kind of like beating the odds. and Yep, we sure are. We have 100% at least college acceptance each year since our first year. Right. And so just about 90% of our students go on to a four to six year institution and even beyond. Mm -hmm. So And I, yeah, and that work experience is so critical. Like they're not going to Burger King, which is fine. You can go to Burger King and work, but they're going to the corporate organizations and learning customer service, data entry. Some people I know are, are at hospitals, so they're learning like that patient experience. So really incredible school. Um, 
if you want to learn more about it, what's the website for? Um, DetroitPriestDermay.org. Okay. So support them. I support them every year. Um, they do some really fun fundraisers and things too, but it's really just an incredible place and everybody that I've met out of Crystal Ray is just an awesome person. So, and side note, we are at physically Crystal Ray. I think I mentioned that and there's a basketball game going on. So if you hear some kind of noise in the background, it's the students playing basketball, which again, when I was here, I don't think the building was open on the weekends because we really didn't have any sports. Now you guys have all kinds of sports. So yeah. <laughs> it's amazing. Okay, so let's get back to why we're talking today. Um, what exactly did you want to shine a light on? Um, childhood grief. It is something that I have learned is not heavily talked about. Even now in my profession and in grad school, there's hardly any studies on this stuff. And it's, it's prevalent, especially here in the city. And I think it's really necessary to discuss. I mean, it happens Sometimes it really does happen. Grief is not um, just confined to adults. And for kids, it's more complex. So I think it's really, really necessary. Yeah. So tell us who you lost when you were a child. Um, I lost my mom at four years old. She had lupus. Um, we, my grandmother told me she was diagnosed around age 18 or so. And they really didn't know much about what lupus was back in like the late 80s, early 90s. So for uh, people who had it, it was really a mystery. Didn't know where it came from. It wasn't genetic. It just kind of pops out of nowhere. Mm -hmm. So during the time that she was learning about her diagnosis, she was also actively helping others in that community, which is kind of what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. um, she passed right after my fourth birthday and a week after hers, actually, in March. And um, it was uh, really, really something. Did do you have many memories of her then since you were so young when she passed? Do you remember sort of life before she passed away? Oh, that's really strange. I've never actually heard anyone ask me that before. <laughs> um, it's it's really weird. Um, the memories I kind of I always say that they're foggy because I will remember the not so great moments of her condition. Um but something will spring up here, something will spring up there. It just sometimes it depends. But uh, life beforehand, I no, not really. I, I can't. Mean, you were so young that I don't even know that our memories really form. Yeah. Right. Um, do you do you know at all if you knew that she was sick? Like, do you remember someone telling you she's sick? Yeah. Okay. Um, so we we were definitely educated in this house in my house. Um, I knew that something was not right. Mm -hmm. Um, didn't know exactly what it was, but I knew something wasn't right. I knew she necessarily wasn't well. There were things that she could do. And then almost for me overnight, she couldn't do them anymore. Yeah. Um, I remember her dresser looking like a pharmacy. She had so many pills and bottles and things of that nature. And there were days she could walk and days she couldn't. So, I mean, yeah, I was well aware that something was going on. Mm -hmm. Okay. Do you remember anything about her actual death or the funeral? Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, everything is always kind of jumbled together. So um, I remember visiting her in the hospital. Now, sources have told me she had already passed. In my brain, I remember her talking and telling my grandmother to take care of her and it's going to be hard. But I've been told she was gone at that point. So I don't know yeah. if my brain was just imagining it or whatever that was. But... The funeral, I do remember to a degree. Um, I remember attending it. I remember my grandmother holding me up to her to kiss her goodbye. And once again, then after that, I'm at KFC. That's, <laughs> that's where I was after the fact. But yeah, I do remember certain things. And I did have an uncle who recorded the funeral and the burial for me so I could come back and watch it. And I honestly didn't watch it for maybe seven or eight years later. So you do... You you have a taping of the funeral, mm -hmm. so you kind of can... Do you still have it? Yeah, okay. I still have it. Okay. I haven't watched it in a long time, and I remember when I did finally watch it, I had the obituary with me so I could feel like I was there, because my biggest thing, one of the biggest things about this is always that I felt like I was late. Everybody else got their chance to see her and grieve her, and I felt like the biggest late boomer because now everything is coming up years after it's happened. Yeah. Well, at four... 
how do you process that? Like, I don't know that there's an answer to that. Well, yeah, you, you really know. It's just... Yeah. Yeah. And you don't have to talk about this if you want to. Just tell me to move on. But your dad was not around. He was, but he wasn't. Okay. Um, at that time, it was, you know, him and my mother were not together. Um, I mean, like I said, he was around, but he wasn't. And things over the years got rough, but they have definitely evened themselves out a lot. So, yeah. But you, so after she passed, you stayed with your grandma. Do you remember yes. what went into that decision or was it just natural? Like, my grandma, my mom made it very clear that that's who she wanted to raise okay. me. She did not want anybody else to be bothered with it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it was just, it was seamless. Uh, we were already living with her anyway. Okay. Um, so, yeah. yeah. Okay, so talk to me a little bit about what's it like growing up with your grandmother compared to, like, your, seeing your friends have a mom or, like, just do you remember any of those kinds of feelings? Oh, gosh, yeah. Um, for one, it was a thing of I'm with this old lady <laughs> all the time. So, in essence, I was an old child, and it, it always made this weird thing between me and my friends. I wasn't the mom. I'm the grandmother of my friend groups. And... There came a time in, I want to say, the third or fourth grade that we had a bring your parent to school day. And, you know, my grandmother's retired, so most events she tried to come to if she could. But during that time, she had gotten injured and couldn't really walk anywhere. So I remember being at the school and some of my friend's parents did come. Some of them had to work, so another parent might have come. And we were working on arts and crafts or whatever. And I'm so I'm working on my one grandmother friend of mine's was helping me and then another mom. And I just remember that was the most isolating and hardest moment ever to just be there and watching everyone enjoy time with their moms and dads, mostly their moms. And I remember going home that night and I just sobbed and I told her, I don't want to go back. I don't want to do that next year. So when it came around next year, we made some kind of lie. We couldn't tell them, oh, she's grieving. We, you know, she doesn't want to come to school because her mom is gone. So we had to make up some fantastic lie that I had to go to the dentist that morning so I wouldn't have to be there in the morning and just come in in the afternoon. I think that was one of the starting moments of me realizing how much this was affecting me. Yeah. Do you think of your grandmother as your grandmother, or would you say you thought of her more as a mom? She's my grandmother. Yeah. There, it's just there's certain things that can't be crossed over. She's my grandmother that raised me. I can't even say she's like a mom. She's all of it, but yeah. she's she's my grandma. But all growing up, you were like, no, that's my grandma. Yeah, that's, yes. yeah. Um, what kinds of things did you guys do, and if you didn't do anything, that's fine too, to sort of keep the memory of your mom alive? Did you look at pictures? Did you talk about her? Yeah, she would show me things and tell me different things about her. Um, definitely a lot of pictures. At one point, once I got old enough, she was giving me her jewelry, um, going through things in her room, you know, telling me what happened and how it happened and, and things like that. Once I got to a point where I was comfortable, we had those conversations and... Um, it, it was a lot. We, we, we would have them quite frequently, actually. So Okay. Um, did you get any support as a kid? Like, go to any support groups or grief groups or anything like that? I did not. Okay. And part of me regrets it. And then there's a part of me who's glad I kind of went through things the way I did. Um, around fourth grade, uh, she noticed that there might have been some issues with it popping back up. Uh, usually around age seven or six is when a child fully understands what's going on. But um, once I was about third, fourth grade, she spoke to the um, the school counselor. And so we had these kind of like inadvertent lunch date slash therapy sessions mm -hmm. where they didn't tell me it was therapy, but it's essentially it's what it was. Um, and funny enough, the school knew. They knew what was happening because my mom was the one who enrolled me in the school. And maybe the day of her funeral is when we got the acceptance letter to come to Cornerstone. So they knew and they were aware that my mom had just died. But still, there was no immediate or, you know, support that I saw. But they, they knew because she told them what happened. Yeah. So um, they, I guess they kind of just watched me from the shadows. But... Mm -hmm. 
I did have that one therapy session that lasted maybe three or four months and then absolutely nothing else. Okay. And you probably didn't have many friends who were in the same position as you. Not a soul. Okay. Yeah. I'm just trying to think because I do think there's a little bit of misconception that kind of living in the city, you may not have your parents around, but it seems to me like amongst at least your circle, they all had at least one parent. Mm Mm-hmm with them and you had your grandma which she's amazing I am team grandma I've met her many <laughs> times I love her but it's not your mom I yeah. mean at the end of the day she's not your mom so. yeah um okay kind of went into that so I met you in high school so talk to me a little bit about kind of that part of your life as it relates to grief because that's when you know as a teenage girl you want your mom and yes again mm-hmm. you had your grandma but um, there are just questions that you might have, and we don't have to go into all that stuff, but just, you know, not having your mom as you went through a big change, going to Crystal Ray, kind of leaving maybe some of your friends behind, things like that. What, mm-hmm. what was your grief like at that point? Uh, well, the transi- the, I'll say the transitions uh, at first were pretty seamless. I did have a major breakdown in eighth grade, so that was kind of when the stuff started. Mm-hmm. Ninth grade and everything, I was just excited about being in a new school, new environment, Um, middle school sucked for me (laughs) developmentally, so, uh, that's a part I try to leave out, but, uh, freshman year was great. Tenth grade year is, like, when everything started to go downhill fast. Um, my grief took a different turn. That's when things with my dad started to Mm -hmm. act up. So, it kind of, the focus kind of shifted from my mom to my dad. Um, but really, at that point... I wasn't really thinking about her that much because I was so busy dealing with that stuff. So I would say 10th grade year, the the grief for her wasn't really around. It was more for him. Yeah, which is a totally different kind of grief, but it's, it's still grief. definitely different, yeah. yeah. So everything I know about you from high school is that you were very driven. You worked hard. Um, you had fun, too, but you worked really hard at you wanted to graduate. You did well in your job that you were assigned to. Do you think any of that has to do with just wanting to make your mom proud? Probably inadvertently, yes. Um, I mean, that's always the back thought, but that's just kind of always how I've been. I've always been someone who strives for success and nothing less than that. And it's a nod to her because that's how she was. Um, Even when she was going through the last of the, you know, her final stages and everything, and she was pushing herself, and she probably shouldn't have health-wise, But I think it was still just a thing of, you know, I know that I'm probably not going to be here much longer. Let me do my very best. So that's how I am. I think that's, it's kind of just something that's in me. Yeah. Did your mom work? Yes, she did. What what did she do? At that time, she was at the Westin as a receptionist. Okay. Um, Also going to school, Mm -hmm. also trying to raise me and deal with her complications so she was a very busy woman yeah and your grandma worked she stopped working after I was born okay um and just kind of I don't know if she became like a caregiver at the house I don't really think so but she retired once I was born okay I know that much yeah but your grandma from what I know is also pretty driven and pushed pushed you and wanted you to do well she wasn't gonna let you fail (laughs) no no she but at the same time she also didn't my grandmother, as much, even if I'm saying this now, it's kind of weird. She was very mental health driven. Okay. Whatever I did, don't she was don't do it to the point where you're so stressed that you start to lose yourself, that you make yourself sick. Um, and she'd always fuss, don't do this. Your mom did this, and that's why she ended up, you know, getting worse. So as much as she is, you know, do the best you can do, and if I catch you not doing it, it's trouble. It was also take care of yourself first because you can't do your best if you're not your best. Yeah. So, so we're kind of going off topic, but you brought up mental health, and I don't want to lose that because in your email you said that one of the things you want to touch on was mental health in the African-American community. Yes. So talk to me a little bit about what that means for you. Well, when I, what I've seen lately is there's a lot of these conditions that we don't ever really associate with us starting to come up more, and they're more prevalent. Um, just the number of young babies committing suicide nowadays is baffling to me. Eight and nine year olds. Um, and there's always been this stigma about black people going to therapy and things of that nature. Um, only using your faith, praying about it, God will fix it. 
And it's starting to reverse itself a little, but there's still that pushback. And I think it's just so necessary. If you need help, get help. Um, I myself who wants to work in mental health thought therapy was the lowest of the low until I actually went and got the help. So I just, it's something that really still needs to be touched on. We're getting, we're making progress, but it could be a lot better. Yeah. What, what do you feel like we can do to make it better? Just talk about it more? That and just educating families that therapy is not a non-black thing. That's literally what people tend to, even from people in my own family, oh, black people, we don't go to therapy. That's not us. We don't get depression. We don't get, yes, we do. We have, first off, so many years of just stress on us. I mean, I just learned about this the other day in a social work class. We've got so many years of stress and daily things that we have to deal with and think about that it's it's a wonder that we are able to function and it's now starting to weigh in on us. And we're also just not as vulnerable. I mean, a lot of people in my family are, a lot of my friends are, but as a community, we can't be vulnerable. We're told we're not allowed to be vulnerable. And and we're always supposed to just be strong, especially black women, just strong, hard, mean, aggressive, and which is yeah. just not the case. Like we need to allow ourselves to be vulnerable, get help, get educated. Use your faith. I'm a big believer that your faith can help, but your faith alone is not going to help. Mm-hmm. So I just think we want, we just we really just need to start having the conversation, yeah. and then we can go from there. That's yeah, that's very powerful. I think, and it's it's good that your grandma was cautious of that also, and watching out for you because yes, you did push yourself pretty hard. So getting back to kind of your your life story after high school, you graduated. Yes. What happened after you graduated? Um, went to Wayne State. Uh, And I find that there's these years that are milestone years for me that trigger my grief. So 12th grade, as great as it was, counting down towards the end, really triggered things. Um, And it became depressing. Um, I'm going off to school. My mom's not here to see it. I'm still in a strange place with my dad at this point. It was really happy but rough like after I got the acceptance letters and after I was done working on that and just focusing on finishing off the year I had a lot of time to think and it was it was a lot and then I'm like I'm going to the school she went to and it's like oh this is so great she's going away and her mom it was really really just like wow this is really upsetting for me right now I think it seems to be like the transition times that are hard for you. Yeah, I um, think that would yeah, be and the trigger. Yeah, because you, you want her to be there through that. And I, I went to a grief group, and one of the things that I said that I don't feel like is addressed with grief is the fear, the grief that you, that person is missing all of this stuff. And mm-hmm. like even in the future, like she'll never see you have kids or yeah. like that stuff. The fear of what they will be missing out on is is a huge part of the grief. Yeah. Did you apply for other schools besides Wayne State? I applied, yeah, at least seven or eight, maybe more, and got into each school. Okay. So outside of Detroit, you applied to? Yeah, but essentially, Wayne State was where I knew I was going to go. Yeah. Like, at the time, at the time, I was interested in astronomy. That's, like, that's where I was going to go. Oh, I remember yeah, funny how that changed. <laughs> um, I was interested in astronomy and going and doing that, and they were the only other school besides Central Michigan that had it for an undergrad program. So okay. I was like, so that's yeah. what made you because one of the questions I got for you is what made you stay in Detroit? Yeah, so that was really it was the astronomy. Yeah, and um, when I was doing uh, the ACT prep group and the people from Wayne State were they kind of threw in like trying to push us so subliminally they were like trying to get us to come here all yeah. while helping us with ACT prep and I was like okay fine yeah you guys got do you think program. there's any part of you that wanted to stay to kind of be with your grandma or not or were you like not worried about her mm-hmm. <laughs> I wouldn't say well it's at first not no at okay. first um once I actually got into school and started getting acclimated to it yes I I don't think I would have made it very well had I left okay yeah, I was just curious about that. So you did not go into astronomy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I started and then I changed. Okay. And what made you change, do you think? I couldn't grasp the math. As oh, much as I tried to prove I feel it, you on that. <laughs> I tried to prove it to myself, like I'm gonna get past all of this. And I remember sitting in my dorm, stressed beyond belief, looking at my schedule with what physics classes and math I would have had to retake, and it was literally the most stressful thing ever. And my best advisor, Dawn, was like 
you can succeed somewhere else. Don't hinder yourself by staying here when you could do better. Not that you couldn't do it, but you can do better somewhere else. And she was extremely instrumental and supportive of my decision um, where most advisors will just, well, you know, just keep trying. You know, she was extremely real and I, I love her. I still go and have visits with her now. Um, and she said, you would do so much better in psych. My best friend, you need to switch to psych. I switched to psych. So I kept hearing it. And it's so strange. My mother switched to psych herself. Oh, okay. Um, she was an art major, but once her hands and everything started to be affected by the arthritis from the disease, she couldn't draw. Mm-hmm. Um, she's interior design, I think. And she switched to psych. And so it's like all these little weird things that keep popping up, these little parallels. It's it's really funny. Yeah. So you switched to psych what, what year? Second, third, somewhere. Okay. And it was really because people said, like, hey, I think this is a good option for you. I'm only getting to that because I know at some point you started volunteering with Sandcastle. So I'm trying to figure out where that aligns with your timeline and what you talk about what that is. Okay. So Sandcastle's Grief Support for Children and Families is um, an organization, a nonprofit, uh, funded through Henry Ford Hospice that prides itself in giving support to kids who are grieving as well as their families and whomever is taking care of them. Um, I found out about Sandcastles, honestly, when I went to Ecuador uh, through the person who was over that trip. And I was always kind of interested, but I never got around to applying and everything. So, what is it, 2016? Yeah. Or maybe 2015. Um... I finally applied, started going to volunteer trainings to become a facilitator, and um, it was kind of around the time when I was transitioning with my uh, with my major, and when I realized that, okay, you wanting to help bereaved kids and creating your own NPO is not something you should be doing on the sidelines. This should be your main focus and your main career. So I met with the director, we talked about you know, possible collaborations and things like that, and then my becoming a volunteer. So that was okay. at least three years ago. And do you, was it helpful for your own grief, do you think, even though you were an adult? Yes. Oh, God, yes. And they had to kind of remind me, like, look, you're not here for you. <laughs> but you're like, I want to do all the activities too. Yeah. yeah. And and, it, the, and that's the main thing. And I at first I was like, well, why are you being so mean about this? If it's helping me. But the thing is, you're there for them. And you cannot properly help them if you're in your own head about things. But they also want you to be safe and mentally fit and healthy. And if, you know, things are too hard for you, you know, they'll give you the support. Um, But it definitely does help me. Um, But helping them helps me help them. Yeah, you know, (laughs) I get it. Did at any point, did you think, where was this when I was a kid? I did, and my grandmother actually told me she had heard about it, but it was in an area that she thought was extremely sketchy, and she wasn't completely educated, and she's like, I'm not sending you there. Um, They have since moved and gained a bunch of different locations across the city um, and metro Detroit area. Um, But yeah, parts of me, when I see them and how they interact, it's like, God, I would have been so much better off had I went through this. But looking at the path and the way things have aligned themselves, I would not do it any differently. Yeah. Okay. So in the timeline, we are where you switched majors. You started volunteering for Sandcastles. Mm -hmm. What happens next? Um, Complete mental breakdown. Um, Once I had started my stuff for psych, uh, the things with my father got just, they reached an all-time low to the point where we became estranged. Him and his grandma, um, my mother, or him and his mother, my grandmother. Um, And that was the domino effect of everything. So him, my mother's grief, my own personal life, uh, some things with school weren't going all that great. And it's when my friend was like, you need to see somebody. How can you help kids and you don't want to talk to somebody? What if they don't want to talk to you? Um, and I'll give her a shout out later. She knows who she is. But um, I was like, okay. So I remember going to triage for CAPS at Wayne State. And I, I thought literally I had hit rock bottom by this point. I literally thought there's no getting out of You have hit the lowest. If you're going to therapy because you know the balance of good and bad, you can appreciate 
when things are positive or negative, but try to keep yourself on an optimistic side. If you have to go to therapy, something is really, really wrong with you. And I really beat myself up for it, but um, I'm glad I went. I'm glad I got the help. But during that particular year, like 2016, was probably the worst time of my life. Okay. You were still in college? Yes. Okay. How did you find a therapist? Because I think a lot of people struggle with, I don't even know where to go. Right. And college students are poor. Yes. <laughs> so how did how were you able to pay for that? Because you have to make it a priority, but people are worried about those two things. So how, right. did, how did you do that? Thankfully, Wayne State does offer a free psychological... Uh, most colleges do. Yeah. So... so yeah. I went through CAPS, um, and I remember during orientation, I got the thing. I'm like, I'm never going to need this, whatever. And uh, I, I said, you know what? Let me just look it up, call them, go in for an appointment. And I literally felt like horrible going to make an appointment with them. Um, but yeah, check your free colleges. They, I mean, check your colleges, you know, all the programs. You're paying for it anyway. You might as well take advantage yeah. of it while you're there. Yeah, when I was in college, I hit a really low point. I remember my... My college health center had like a online depression screening tool that you could do. And I was like, let me do it. And the results were like, you are severely depressed. You need to get help. And I was like, oh, damn, I didn't realize that. (laughs) But colleges are great for that because you're right. It's built in for you. So if you are in college and you are struggling, go. You can walk there most likely. Um, Just I really encourage that. So did your friends know that you were going uh, what little friends I had on campus at that time, and that was kind of just because that's just how my friend Sumpra was. Um, I think my one good friend knew, uh, my roommate Sam, uh, I don't even really recall, I can't remember, Kimbra, whom I met online, and I've been close with her ever since, she knew, and so she was probably the main person I was talking to all the time about, you know, me going and okay. everything. Yeah, just because I think it's important to share that um, you don't have to hide it. Like, yeah. you, you can talk about it. And the people who will support you will support you. And the people who don't, you don't really need it in your life. Right, so. exactly. Okay, so 2016 that happened. You got therapy. Um, did you continue with therapy for a while or was it a short time? It was for a whole year. Okay. And they even referred me to a mindfulness group because I am a chronic overthinker. Mm-hmm. Um, I can sometimes, it doesn't disrupt my daily life, but sometimes I'll be thinking about a decision and so busy mulling over the thousands of possibilities of what could happen that I never even make the decision or go yeah. through with it. So I went through mindfulness group therapy kind of towards the end of my um, the year for me going to therapy, and it was extremely helpful. Okay. And then... You graduated Wayne State at 2017. Okay, yeah. and what happened after you graduated? Um, well, right before I graduated, I started at uh, Detroit Delta Prep. Um, you applied for grad school. Right? Um, yes, I applied okay. for grad school. Um, and uh, that was just kind of a pivotal moment. Like, okay, I'm getting into this, and I'm going into social work. I figured out now what I want to do. I probably should have did social work in undergrad, but I'm glad I did psych to learn why people do, and now I can help. So um applied for grad school, got into grad school, and then that rest of that 2018, I kind of just worked until it was time for me to go back to school. Okay. So you're in grad school now and teaching, or not teaching, and, no, not that. <laughs> and working as the admissions director at Missouri. Yes. So how often do you have class? Um, right now, well, all my classes are online, thank Oh, <laughs> fancy. I did that on purpose because I wasn't sure how the schedule would work. So usually it would just be once a week and then something online, but everything is okay. online right now. So okay. And do you specifically want to go into grief work? Yes. Okay. Talk Actually, about that. Yeah. Um, I've made a couple different transition career choices. Well, you will do within. that for years to come. Yes. I'll tell you, so <laughs> um, during my final semester or last to final semester, whichever, I did an internship for uh, one of my psych classes. And I did it at Sandcastles. So just because I'm like, it's easy. I don't they, have to yeah, they already know you. Yeah. Right. And um, we had to do a hospice visit. I was terrified. I said, there is no way I'm going to make it through this. I'm like, I can deal with grieving kids. Everything before that, I don't even want to be bothered with. I see. Yeah. You want to deal with the after. Right. I said, no, no, no. Death is scary. No, 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 no. Even though I'm slightly fascinated with it. No, no, I'm not doing this. And right around the time 
we had to do the hospice visit. I lost a very dear friend of mine to cancer. And um, I was like, this just could not be the more worst timing yeah. for all of this. Too close to home. Way too close. And so I remember me and one of the students took the, the little shuttle from Henry Ford one place to the hospital. Oh, I know that well. <laughs> and um, we got there and I'm like, oh my God. These other social work interns who I was with, I was the undergrad and they were all in grad school. They're like, yeah, hospice, woohoo! I know that sounds really terrible, but that's how they were. They were interested. Some were former Sandcastles participants and they were excited. I'm like, there's no way. I'm no, I'm not okay with this. They're like, someone almost died last week. Oh my God. I'm like, wow, I don't know. And um, the, um, the facilitator, and I, gosh, I wish I could remember her name, but she's so amazing. Um, I'm like, I want to be with her because she just seems comfortable. So we went to our first patient and it was a family and um, it was, I guess their mother was passing and she was like well into her 80s, 90s, whatever. And uh, we were kind of just talking to them. They were, oh, she woke up today. And we we're like, okay, well, that's good. And she's like, no, she didn't. And so the next thing she said, well, I want you to sit with a patient. I said, excuse me, I have to sit with a hospice? No, okay. <laughs> so she had me sit with this it was a man and um I'm, I'm assuming he had to be like at least 80s 90s and she had me sit with him and just sit there so I sat there and I wondered how he was and how he might have looked what he might have done as a career and tried to personify myself with him and you know I didn't know his name or anything and she came back and she said are you okay I said yeah she said you I I'll sit here a little longer. She says, okay, I have a few other things to do. I'll come get you. And so 15 minutes became almost 30 minutes of me just sitting with this patient. And I said, you know what? This ain't half bad. Um, the final patient I had to visit with the chaplain was not uh, an active death. She was very alert and knew what was happening and was hysterical. But she'd have bouts of happiness. And um, the chaplain said, well, every day it's one thing and then the next. And she was hysterical when we went in to talk to her. You know, she was upset about leaving her kids and everything behind. And I just sat there and I just listened and I tried to comfort her as best as I could. And then she got happy about Thanksgiving and being able to go home. And so by the end of the day, I said, I could do this. I've done this before. Whenever anybody was ill in my family, you know, except my mother, with the exception of her, anybody was ill in my family. My grandmother took care of the in-home hospice. She was just the, the family member they called for that. And I often helped her and assisted her with it. So I said, you know, I can, I can do this. This is a good, like, stair step for me until I get to where I'm going. So I'm actually in social work now for hospice and okay. palliative care. Yeah, that's, um, I worked for a hospice, so I'm pretty familiar. Um, a lot of hospice is that anticipatory grief. So the family is kind of knowing that they're going to be grieving and there's a lot of like anxiety around mm -hmm. that, a lot of fear, a lot of like planning for the future. Um, and sometimes the patient's alert enough that they're having that too, but it's a very different grief. It is. Um, but I, as somebody who has both worked for a hospice and had a parent on hospice, hospice workers are angels. They, mm -hmm. they are there to listen, whatever you need to say, they will just listen without judgment. And I think you'll be amazing at that. So Thank you. that's exciting. Um, so that's kind of your plan for the future. Is there anything else that you like to do besides go to school and work? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm still actively into music. Um, I'm in a band now, Creative Pieces. Oh. Um, uh, we haven't had many gigs lately. <laughs> Things have just been so busy. Um, but I'm trying to get back into going to school, getting lessons and things to really uh, just improve my craft and my skill. Um, but I'm still actively in it. I'm now finally getting back into writing, which you always helped me do in school. That's my favorite thing to help you guys let out your yes. emotions. Oh, and I'm, I'm telling just, you, I'm works. so here for it. I make my kids journal and stuff. They like hate yes. it. They're like, no, I don't feel like it. But no, you're gonna do yeah, it. Yeah, you guys would come to my study hall and like here's some writing prompts because and I'm like, if you're, okay. just, if you're just gonna sit there and talk, you might as well let out what you have to say on paper because. So many kids that come here, and really at any point in high school, but Detroit especially, are coming from rough home situations. Mm -hmm. And yeah. 
you didn't have you didn't have your mom and that was affecting you there there were kids whose parents were getting deported there was all mm-hmm. kinds of like and a lot of different a lot of, a lot of different issues and i always told you guys that i felt like writing was a great way to just let that out and even people who were like no i don't think so miss curl in <laughs> and i'm only saying that because that's a shout out to Rochelle. Um, <laughs> I don't think that's going to help me. They would do it and then they'd feel better. Or drawing. A lot of you are very artistic and creative people mm-hmm. too. So, yeah, that's a little bit about the writing. But you, so you're writing, you're singing, um, you're doing the school thing, you're working here. So you're pretty busy. Yeah. <laughs> I got one question for you. I've asked a lot that people submitted, but there's one that I think is a pretty powerful question. So take take a moment. Um, how do you feel all of this will shape you as a mother? Oh, wow. I know. I was excited to ask you that one. <laughs> oh, um, that's, wow. <laughs> I, I thought I'm like, you got to ask me a powerful question. I got this. Uh, wow. Uh, <laughs> really, I have to think about it. Yeah. There was a point where I was, you know, it's kind of like, it was almost like a default. Yeah, I want kids. I want to be married. I want, yeah. But it was, um, it was a fear that, number one, it wasn't going to happen. And two, I'm not going to know anything of what to do because I'm not necessarily motherly. I never f- considered myself as a motherly person where my friends are having baby fever. And I'm like, whatever. I'm not, I can't think about that right now. I think, number one, I'm going to be extremely supportive of my child, children. I want more than one. Um... I want to mimic my grandmother as many ways as possible. Like, make sure there's open lines of communication support, but at the same time, there's a respect factor that needs to be held. But I really feel like I can be open and understand whatever it is they might be going through and just be there for them as best as I possibly can be. Um, And just provide and sacrifice. Like, I feel like my mom made a very big sacrifice with all of everything she did. And it's at the same time, I feel like I barely know her. It's it's like talking about a legend or some kind of person in history for me. The disconnect is always there. But I just, I feel like it's just, I will be an extreme support. Like, they will always be able to come to me for anything and not have to feel judged or, you know, weird about it that I think that's my biggest thing it's like I feel like I can explain it better but I can't no I think you're doing I think you're doing great do you feel like you'll I'm sure you will but like keep pictures of her and kind of tell you oh my goodness yes they will definitely know who she was um it's a shame that they will never know her but there will I mean they will have some idea yes yeah yeah is your grandmother in good health so yes she is um yeah she's fine I, that that's one thing I think college also had me do is to start to worry terribly about her. Uh-huh. I you know my mother's death is sad and horrifying, but I feel like I have always pre grieved her. Mm-hmm. You know, it's because been a part of your life since you're four. Yes, yeah, yeah. so I've always I'm, I'm always pre grieving, and I have to stop myself because I know that that will be an extremely difficult situation and it's like while she can easily talk about oh yeah when I go to the boneyard because that's what she calls it I'm like <laughs> Jesus Christ she's also got those well my friends are getting older my siblings are getting older people are leaving and getting sick and she's has that those little fears that she tries not to show yeah and I you know try to prep myself but one thing she constantly says is you're okay now I know you you're set you've got people in your life that can help you when I'm not here, you'll be fine. And I'm like, please stop saying that. But she's pretty young, right? She's she'll be 75 in August. Okay, yeah, so. she's only five years older than my mom, so she's pretty young. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. And you guys still live together in the same yeah. place. Yeah. Yep. That you know what? That is something that I want to briefly touch on that I forgot to ask you earlier. Is just very brief what it's like to grow up in Detroit because yeah, for me. And most of my friends that will be listening to this, we grew up in the suburbs and really don't know what it means to live in Detroit. We come down here for concerts. Yeah. I'll be the first to admit it that we didn't. We don't come here and hang out all day. So what yeah. is it like to live in Detroit? I can say as a kid, I, I mean, I didn't see anything wrong with it. We didn't. I mean, the neighborhood we were in or still in actually um, supposedly is an extremely high crime area. But I mean, nothing ever happened. So it was almost like I was blinded. From that, I never saw it. Seeing it now and seeing things with a completely different lens, it kind of pisses me off. Um, 
to see what's happening to the city and the gentrification that's going on and people being ran out of their homes and there's still vacant houses and kids are getting, you know, in trouble and getting in endangered situations. And same thing with adults too, but mostly kids because there's lots of kids running around. It um, it starts to anger me um, to see all of the stuff that's happening and it's like everything's turned a blind eye mm-hmm. to these majority black communities and then you, you see the downtown is like doesn't place, even look to be, like yeah there's a little lemon there now <laughs> like, right yeah and so it's it's maddening and it makes me want to fight for my city and stay mm-hmm. here and help be a part of that good regeneration of things yeah um and i think me wanting to stay here for now at least to put my community my uh nonprofit together is I really want to help kids here. Mm-hmm. This to me, this is who needs it. You know, I mean there's already not a lot of grief places. There's Ells Place in Ann Arbor, um, and then we have sand castles. There's already not a lot. And then you have kids here who really need it. Mm-hmm. So your ultimate goal is to start your own nonprofit? Yes. Okay. All right, I'm glad we touched on that because I definitely wanted to, to touch on that. So some of the things that I'm asking everybody to do are what resources have you found helpful? So this can either be kind of as a kid, as you were grieving. I know we kind of touched on that you didn't have a lot or even that you've seen now. Um, for somebody who might be grieving and they could be still grieving if there's someone like you who's lost a parent at a young age, just kind of talk me through some of the resources that you found helpful. Hmm, I can't really say I found any through, like, elementary on up. It was kind of after the fact. Um, Number one, trying to find someone who has been through it. Mm -hmm. Um, I find that everybody's experience is a little different. Um, Some people are all for, you know, tapping into that side, and some people are like, nope, I want to avoid it at all costs. But try to find at least someone, number one, who is like you, who Mm -hmm. has been through it. Um, Sandcastles definitely helped. Uh, Look through hospice um, programs through hospitals, because usually they give some sort of resource to some sort of grieving thing. Um, Sandcastles had me... Sorry, that was my neck. (laughs) Sandcastles told us about the National Alliance for Grieving Children. Um, They're located in Texas, but they do a lot of uh, work... Um, everywhere and a lot of organizations are connected with them they provide so much information um, that it's like almost sickening that I realized I never knew about and like how childhood bereavement and grief is like such a big thing Um, so they're good and if you find a therapist you probably really do need to see someone if you haven't already it's, it's necessary because grief comes and goes, it's in hills and valleys. It doesn't, with some things, it might just kind of go away, but if it, uh, depending on who the person is and how serious it is, it will come back. Yes, and grief manifests in different ways too. So it does. It can be anxiety, it can be anger. Um, I found when I was grieving, I would snap a lot, and it wasn't that I was angry at the person, it was just my first instinct. So yeah. what are some ways that you feel like it manifested with you? We've talked a little bit about just kind of that overwhelming, like sadness a little bit that you felt, but. Um, really, it, I really think it was just like sadness. I never really found myself angry. Um, There were points during that very, very low period where I was just low. I wanted to sleep all day. I wanted to just be out of it as much as I possibly could. And I did have a moment where I did snap and I was angry and um, a suicidal ideation popped in my brain. Like I I was just tired. I was tired of having to grieve both parents and one is still here at that time um but I want to say that there was one defining moment for me that really just threw me over the edge and while it was defining trying to to heal from it was rough and it was that I could not serve my purpose if she was here once I got to the point of accepting really, really, truly accepting that she was gone and that it was supposed to be that way. And then for real, that you don't want to change things. That was like the light bulb, but it was so hard to 
accept get there. Yeah. and yeah, get there and then be okay with that thought. It was extremely difficult to be like, wow, you're sitting here telling me, and this is me talking to me, <laughs> you're okay with the fact that she's not here and you have accepted it to the point where if it could be changed and you could have her, you still wouldn't. That was mind-boggling for me, yeah. but it was so detrimental to me figuring me out because I always thought I had me figured out. And I think we should say that doesn't mean you don't miss her. Right. That let's be clear. That definitely doesn't mean that. But it does let me know that there's. A, I always believe that there's a reason for everything. We might not see it. Um, we always wonder why do bad things happen to good people. Sometimes I still can't answer those questions. I can only answer them for myself. Realizing that my mom's purpose was to go so that I could do what I need to do, which sounds kind of selfish now that I'm thinking about no, it. No, but it's not sound selfish at all. <laughs> It sounds amazing that you were able to grow from that, but I just want to wanted to make sure I threw in that doesn't mean you don't miss her because I don't want right. to hear this and be like, oh, well, she's fine. No, <laughs> Because no. there will be moments, like you said, hills and valleys, where you may go back to thinking. Oh, gosh, yes. Yeah. There's there's three parts of grief, and I forget them all the time. I know. It's the, memorial, the memorializing at the end. Yeah. The, fi- the finality... Accepting and memorializing. I, I'm probably like please yeah. don't be mad at me, Sandcastles, because I forgot. <laughs> you, I don't. You can go through all three. You might go back to square one, start in the middle, or wherever. It, it, it just happens. There are moments where I wish she was around still to talk to her. There's things, you know, when guys and things that you know things that pop up, or when I have my surrogate mothers, as I call them. I have tons of them. It's like, gosh, I have to go borrow a mom, yeah. rent a mom for a day. and For the record, even though I'm only a few years older than you, you can always rent me. <laughs> <laughs> but I have so many surrogate moms, but it's like still at the end of the day, it's somebody else's mom. It's yeah. not mine. And that void is something that will never be filled. Right. Despite the fact that I have come to terms with it in my own way for my own purpose, there are always, the void is always there. It's yeah. not going to leave. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's very impactful. We touched on this a tiny bit, but if there is somebody who is in the position you were in in 2016, just that very low sadness, what would you tell that person now? Oh, boy. Um, number one, it is okay. Because um, for a long time, I was telling myself this is not okay. Okay, it's okay to be where you are. But now that you know where you are, try to find some sort of way to help you move along slowly but surely um, because it doesn't change overnight. Um, I would have wanted somebody to just give me constant reassurance, um, which I kind of had, but it was kind of hard to see within the the film of everything that was going on. but I would just provide them with constant reassurance that I am there for support. I am there to talk. Um, if there's a resource, I'm there to give it. Uh, but I have so I had sympathy for it then because I remember we had to do the thing with to write love in our arms. And um, but really, after really going through that, the sympathy for me and people who might be suicidal or depressed or whatever has gone through the roof. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, it, I just try to be as reassuring as possible. And one thing Stan Castles has taught us is not to freak out when someone mentions that they might be suicidal because that does not help. Oh no, don't die. Oh no, 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 that doesn't help. Let them know that number one, it is okay. You know, that's what I love about Stan Castles is always letting you know that whatever you feel is fine. There's no right or wrong. Feel your feelings. Right. There's no right or wrong answer. So that, number one, it's okay, but we can help you move past it, mm-hmm. you know, at yeah. the same time. And I think the number one thing is to reach out to somebody. Somebody will want to help you. Yes. <laughs> Even if you feel like you have nobody, there is somebody in your life, probably multiple people, but there's at least one person who will help you. Yes, so that is so that true. Help. Okay, so now we're at the point where I will ask you to build somebody up. So my dad always told us, build each other up, don't tear each other down. Mm-hmm. And so I want all my guests to give me somebody in their life that they want to build up. It can be somebody that has helped you. 
It can be somebody that is feeling kind of low right now that you want to give a little like uplifting to. It can be whatever you want it to be. Okay. Um, and I think I had mentioned two people. Um, so first a shout out to Kimber and Naomi. These two ladies have been in my life for a long time. Naomi a little shorter. Um, both Michael Jackson fans. That's a thing for another day. Yeah, that's um, a whole separate podcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, but like I mentioned earlier, I met Kimber in like 2010, year after Michael passed. Um, and there's another connection. Michael Jackson is someone my mom loved. Mm-hmm. And so essentially after she passed, I kind of just took over that. So that's that one unspeakable thing we've got. So, um, um, I met her in 2010. We have actually formally met a couple times now. I visited her in Mississippi and we're going to hang out again this summer. Um, I know without saying too much that she is, um, at a point in her life, trying to make the decisions she needs to change and get out of the current situations that she's in, and just know that you have always had my overwhelming support. I cannot thank you enough for the many nights you stayed up with me and you let me call you whenever and told me to even go and get the help. She knows that she uh, has my heart. You suck, though, but you have my heart. Um, So I definitely wanted to give a shout-out to her and as well, Naomi. Um, Both of those girls have really... They're like my two best friends. They're so far away, but they're my best friends. Um, And lastly, to Miss Davy, I hope that she hears this. Um, We both were at Delta Prep, and unfortunately, a lot of catastrophic things kind of happened. Um, And she's always been the person to kind of help mold us into women and to teach us how to be, you know, strong and self-persevering and and all of these other things. And so I kind of feel like we flip-flop roles. So just know, you really do have my overwhelming support. And amidst everything that has occurred, you change so many people's lives, so many young kids, especially young women. And you might not think that your impact is gold, but it is. And despite things that keep roadblocking you, that's only God building you up and making you stronger. So please continue to stay you seriously. So that's I awesome. wanted to give those two. That's so cool. I um, I know that this goes without saying, and you would have said her, but I want to give a shout out to your grandmother. <laughs> oh, of course. Um, if she listens to this, because you know, she may have to figure out my mom. I had to teach her how to do it. Um, I had the honor of meeting your grandma a couple times and she's just an amazing person. Um, yes. Oh God. Definitely. So sweet. And like I said, so supportive of you and always was pushing you, but I'm glad to hear that she also was protective of your mental health. Too, yes. So. She always has been. And just, you know, you know, Bessie, I'm going to just leave it at that. She knows how our relationship goes. Yes. Um, Okay, so now I want you to give, like, a fun recommendation. So we've talked about resources, and I want you to either give, like, a song, a podcast, a book, or something fun that people can take away from. Oh, my goodness. Um, So I mentioned Amber Mark, and honestly, here we go with the grief thing. Um, She popped up on my Instagram feed one day, um, and I was like, oh, she looks interesting. I don't know what she does. And I heard about her song, Moonson, and it's about her mom who passed some years ago. Um, they used to travel through India and actually live there and she you know it just it started with that but she's just she doesn't have any songs out but she's absolutely uh, awesome and she's got this sade type of tone to her and I just oh my gosh I love her and uh, Mark Rip Rip it's French and so I can't pronounce it anyway he look him up on Facebook he basically just makes a bunch of loops and songs and stuff out of whatever and he's touring through Europe right now. He's absolutely fantastic. I love him. So, okay. yes. Um, <laughs> before we are done, is there anything that we did not cover that you wanted to talk about? Oh, boy. Um, nope. I think we covered everything. Okay. Yeah. Do you have parting words that you would give to people before we plug your social media stuff? <laughs> <laughs> um, it does. I, I don't want to say it gets easier because that would be kind of a lie. Um but you learn how to cope easier. Mm-hmm. You learn how to deal with it. And once you at least have the tools to how to deal with it, you can see the end of the bad moments, but at least you've learned how to cope. That was the biggest thing for me. I didn't want I never thought it was going to get easier, but at least now I know how to get through it. Yes. So that makes the transitions 
a little less rigid. I was hoping you would use the word tool. So it was like in my head. I was like, say it because <laughs> you can't do this alone. I no. think that's the number one thing. Yeah. To, you know, the grief, the sadness, anything that you're feeling, you can't do it alone. You need those tools to help you. Definitely. Okay. So if people want to find you on Instagram and follow along with what you're doing, yes. how can they find you? Uh, the meaning of Iman, middle name, my mother gave it to me. Funny enough. Um, that's really, yeah, um, I'm not really on Facebook as much and Twitter as, uh, so. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and you post, I mean, just normal, like, day in the life of Jasmine stuff. Yes, <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. Malaya has a new song out, by the way. Oh. Yes, Malaya. Yes, let's plug Malaya. Yes, uh, Malaya, Tina, B, something. Just look up Malaya from American Idol. She has a new song out, I believe it's called Life or Live. I'm okay. sorry if I'm getting it wrong. Um, but yep, she is still doing fantastically well. Malaya is Jasmine's cousin, FYI, for people who don't I, know. Right, and, I should have said that first. And, and she was on American Idol. She's from Southfield? Yes. Yeah. Um, where is she now? She's actually in Boston at the School okay. of Music. I, I knew she moved away, but I wasn't yeah. sure where she was. So, yes, go support her. We love to support our former American Idols. Melinda's <laughs> going to be on an episode of... <laughs> yeah, I always watched American Idol because I thought I was going to be on there one day. Yeah, so Melinda, <laughs> shout out to you. She well, thank you, Jasmine. This was so fun. I really did. When I started thinking about doing this podcast, you were like in my top five people. That I was oh like, I goodness. have got to talk to Jasmine just because I think your story is incredible. I think you have a lot to share. I think people will be very touched by this. And just if they're not proud of you by now, then they can share my pride of just how far <laughs> you've come and the full circle that you're back here at Crystal Ray is just, I think, really cool. So. Thank you.